Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intricasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor. Go give us a great rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Seriously, it is the best way for new listeners to find us is by giving us great ratings on iTunes, Stitcher, what have you. So, if you want to help us out for free and only take a minute of your time, go give us a great rating. It's time for me to read a five-star rating live on air. Today's review comes from Laser Sniper, and it is specifically about Behind the DM Screen, a great podcast where Sam Dillon, Mike Shea, and Jeff Greiner talk about their campaigns. His review is entitled, or her review is entitled, Advice Goldmine. Laser Sniper says, I don't have anyone I can talk to about the D&D games I run, so it's nice to have some people to ask for advice. Well, Laser Sniper, I'm glad you love Behind the DM Screen. There are so many great podcasts to love here on the Tome Show Network. People should discover them. And please, please, please go give us a five-star rating. It helps us a bunch. Please use the affiliate links at thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com. They're a brick-and-mortar game store that also exists online. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. Let's hear a quick word from them. Support for the Tome Show comes from Noble Knight. From Noble Knight. Noble Knight? Knight. Knight? Thousands of tabletop gamers use a Noble Knight to sell new and out-of-print games and products at a discounted price. Noble Knight will also buy back the game products you aren't using anymore. NobleKnight.com, the brick-and-mortar online store where out-of-print is available again. Tell them the Tome Show sent you. I use Noble Knight. You do? I love it. All right, everybody. Today, we are talking about a great announcement from Geek and Sundry that we will be seeing a Critical Role world book. And then we're going to talk about the table of contents for the Middle-Earth role-playing game as well. But first, let's meet our panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question, which is... Uh, if you were going to create a role-playing game for a fantasy world that does not yet exist, what fantasy world would you pick? Uh, let's start with David Gibson. Welcome back to the roundtable. Hey, glad to be back, James. So I think I'd go with the possibly the second or third biggest fantasy setting ever, which has never received a role-playing game or campaign setting book, and that's Harry Potter. And I, I believe that's because J.K. Rowling doesn't, like role-playing games and doesn't want to license that particular product out which always kind of amazes me because you can just imagine the 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 fans because it's a it's a geeky uh it's a geeky product it's a geeky ip we'd mm-hmm. love to you know be a wizard or have our you know have a characters that go to hogwarts and play a kind of a campaign in a uh, a school year kind of paradigm which would be really fun but hasn't happened and probably never will i know it would be the way i would 
finally get my wife to play a role-playing game. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. You know, uh, and I would love it. I would love to have a Harry Potter one uh, as well myself. So I love it. I think that's great. It is awesome to have you back here, uh, especially since you are a self-professed critter um so I, I can't wait to hit you up about critical role uh also back at the round table is carl resch carl welcome back thanks james glad to be back um let's see for my uh my world or whatever that i would want to see an rpg for i would have to say the legend of zelda um and i think the reason behind that is i think the dungeons are awesome the monsters are awesome just the whole world development and i think that just from like an art book art book perspective would just be you know you flip through it and you see all these maps and i don't know it's just inspiring i know i go through and i google dungeons and all this stuff from those worlds just to kind of get layout ideas or you know the themes and the motifs so that's what i would want to go with Awesome. Legend of Zelda, I think, would also be another thing that might bring people who started with video games instead of role-playing games into the tabletop world. I think that would be really cool uh, to see. I like the the reach so far that these have as well. Um, and it is hard to believe that there aren't tabletops for either of those yet. Uh, so why don't we get to... We've got some new faces today at the roundtable. Why don't we start with uh, Darcy Ross. Darcy, welcome to the roundtable. Before we hear your answer answer to the get to know you question why don't you tell the people who are listening at home a little bit about who you are and kind of what your experience with role-playing games is uh hi everybody i'm really happy to be here i'm darcy ross queen of snails patron saint of mojitos staff member of contessa uh that numenera girl on occasion um yeah so i'm a big uh cypher system junkie um, yeah, I, I only got into GMing maybe three years ago, but, um, I've like sort of totally dove in and I, I really dig it and I've been getting really excited about all sorts of RPGs ever since then. So I think that's like, that's my, my niche within, uh, role-playing games. I also like to, uh, assemble monikers, so I apologize for the intro, but, um, <laughs> I've only checked out Critical Role a little bit, so I'm really excited to, um, and I've enjoyed it a lot. I'm excited to hear more about like how, uh how the, the critters of the group um, see it and what they what they love. So I've been meaning to get deeper into it. So the, the world that I would most like to see an RPG of, uh, so I was talking to Allie, my friend here, um, while we were walking up, you know, the only one I initially thought of was Mass Effect, which I love very dearly. Um, lots of cool aliens, weird world, super into it. But then I thought of the one that I really want, and that is Cardcaptor Sakura. It is so RPG-ifiable. It's fabulous. So it's an anime about like a little girl that runs around capturing spirits within cards. Um, but the art's really cool. She's got like a companion animal. It's great. So Card Capture Sakura has to be my final answer. <laughs> that sounds cool. I uh, have not ever even heard of that anime. Check so, it out. Uh, I'm excited to check it out. So that's great. Because <laughs> now I not only do I have new RPGs to think about, I also have an actual thing I can go check out now. As opposed exactly. To... It's an IRL. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, welcome to the roundtable, Darcy. Hopefully this is the first of many times we will have you. Yay. Uh, also new to the roundtable is... Uh, <laughs> Rohit Sodia. Uh, Rohit, welcome to the roundtable. Why don't you give the people a little bit about your background with RPGs? So I think I have a lot of titles too, but they're not nearly as cool as Darcy's. <laughs> I am the uh, guy in charge of Gamers Plane. So I'm the developer, the designer, the PR guy. Um, so I run Gamers Plane, which is a play-by-post website. 
that's I think my biggest thing in the RPG world right now. I I do a lot of stuff online to bring RPG people together. Uh, yes, and thank you for that work because it is very very valuable. Uh, what is your answer to the get to know you question, Rohit? So the answers are way better already than anything I thought of. But my mind also went back to uh, stuff back from like 90s anime. And I was thinking something along the lines of uh, an Esclafone, if anyone's ever seen that one. One of my favorite animes from way back. Some of those animes just had such rich potential that I had a hard time picking just one. But that's a nice combination of magic and tech, something that I'm really into. So I want to say that for now anyway. Awesome. <laughs> As I have said, there are no wrong answers to the get to know you question, and this one feels so right. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would love to see that as well, and I think it's awesome. Uh, they don't all need to be big, far reaching uh, Harry Potter uh, and get my wife to play RPGs. Um, uh, they can just be passion projects that we would love to see done and done well. So, I think that's a great one. Uh, and finally, New to the roundtable is Allie Graham. Now, Allie, I am going to ask you about your experience with role-playing okay. games, but from what I understand from Darcy, and we should mention you two are in the yeah. same room recording right now. Right now. Um, right now. Because she's so close, I could touch her. <laughs> <laughs> Queen of snails. Yeah. Your experience with RPGs is rather limited. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I've always wanted to. Um, I think the, the problem, at least for me recently has been kind of a, a lack of a community where I'm doing my PhD, which could be overcome, I guess, with something like Roll20. Roll 20. <laughs> um, but I mean, historically, I've always been a, a strategy game, like PC player when I was younger. Like I actually got my father into StarCraft and Warcraft like, nice. early on. And then just a variety of shooter games, kind of like generic shooter games. But it was only, let's see, within the past, well, like right when... Uh, Critical Role started because I'm subscribed to Geek and Sundry. Um, I, there was a period, there was a, a day that I decided to stay home and, you know, shirk off my studies, <laughs> my research or whatever. And I saw that they had posted one of the first couple episodes. Um, and I was like, well, I have, you know, I have like four hours to kill. So <laughs> sure, why not? Like, I'm just going to lay here on my couch. And so I loved it. I watched all three. And then when my husband came home, who's also a grad student, I was like, you have to watch this. We watched it again. <laughs> and so I've been, I've been like a huge devotee of that. And it was kind of, it was a little difficult to get into in terms of like me learning the, all the, um, how everything kind of worked. But then soon afterwards, I also latched on to another kind of D and D podcast where, uh, glass cannon, uh, podcast oh, that yeah. do pathfinder. Um, because that appeared randomly on my, like a friend of a friend, her husband's on it. And so I started listening to that. So kind of I've come through it as like a, in a roundabout kind of way. And I'd never really, ex you know, experienced it. My family or my friends never really did any of that. And I didn't have a negative, you know, connotation to it. I just didn't really, wasn't experienced. So I've like fallen you know, like head over heels, but <laughs> so, yeah, that's my, that's my experience with it so far. 
Oh, that Sorry, is... Sorry, I'm going to cut up a long answer, but I'm just saying I got <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, I think that's awesome, and I think it is, it's really, really great to have you on. At the Roundtable, we try to get people with all varied perspectives, and the fact that you are out there watching these shows and you don't actually, at the moment, play role-playing games, I think is, is a larger audience than people who do play role-playing games actually know about. And that's why uh, one reason why it's great to have you here. Um, the other reason it's great to have you here is you brought up the Glass Cannon podcast, and that yeah. gives me a chance to tease that uh, I am <laughs> friends with Joe O'Brien, who is on oh, the really? Cannon Podcast, <laughs> uh, and we're working on getting him and, and the rest of that crew on. They are nice. very, very funny. People should definitely I mean, check them out. Yeah, it's a different flavor, but I, I love that they're just naturally funny, and they have a good dynamic with each other, and I've started also like watching them uh, on Twitch playing random games and stuff, too. They're, it's also a nice community, so <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So let me ask you a question then. If you wanted to see one fictional world turned into a role-playing game setting, either for you to play in or for you to watch somebody else play in, uh, (laughs) what world would that be? Okay, so my immediate thought was there was this browser game that actually Felicia Day kind of used uh, suggested on a vlog like a long time ago called Fallen London. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's set in a, in a kind of an alternate timeline, very Victorian and Gothic, where London has been kind of sold off to the masters and is now underground. <laughs> um, and like I said, it's very, very Victorian, steampunky and Gothic. It's, it's a little dark, but there's an element of intrigue. There's an element of you kind of getting to know certain factions um, and you know, navigating various kind of like weird parts of the city. And I think it's had, it's very atmospheric for me. And even though it's just like a silly little browser game, like I, I like it, it gave enough to where I wanted to know like all the history and all, all the info like that. Maybe that's just me as a scientist. I just wanted to know like more, <laughs> more about it. So that would be my vote. <laughs> I vote for it. Nice. Well, I think that's a, a great pick, and it's also a great plug, and another thing that I am going to have to check out now. So okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. thanks for that recommendation. Well, as everybody can hear, we have a packed roundtable today, and we are going to kick things off by talking about an announcement that came out a couple weeks ago, actually during Gen Con, uh, which is that Matt Mercer and the Critical Role folks are going to partner with Green Ronin to create a Critical Role campaign setting. So they're going to release one sort of uh, general campaign setting book first, and then it sounds like there might be plans to release uh, more stuff. And as a side note, friend of the show and amazing guy James Hake uh, will be working on these books as well. He had tweeted that out earlier, uh, so very excited for him to have this opportunity as well. He's a great designer. He's a great dude. I am not a huge Critical Role fan. I dip in and out. I think it's a an awesome show. I love how many people it's brought to, uh, to check it out. I just haven't had the time to catch up on the massive backlog. Uh, I think I came <laughs> to it a little late yeah. and, uh, you know, there were already literally hundreds of hours of content yes. for me to watch. To, uh, to yeah, catch up. Hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, this, was, this was huge. I mean, they sold out a 1,500 seat 
theater in Gen Con to do Critical Role Live. The first episode has millions of hits on YouTube. They got to do a game with Vin Diesel at one point. You know, Matt Mercer was DMing. Uh, Matt Mercer is blowing up. I think he's surpassing Chris Perkins in a lot of ways as, like, the D- it DM, you know? Um, certainly more people know who he is. Uh, Dave Gibson. I'm sorry. David Gibson. Uh, uh, Let's start with you. You are a huge Critical Role fan, a critter. Uh, Are you excited to have this content, and uh, are you excited about the partnership with Green Ronin? Uh, Yes, it's actually um, quite a bit. I'm also a campaign-setting junkie, as demonstrated by the fact I wrote a whole entire book on role building over Mm -hmm. many, many years. So it's at first I, I was little surprised and trepidatious because they announced um, it was on N-World that I I saw it, not having the good fortune to be at Gen Con or in the packed panel full of 1,500 people. And so it was announced as a critical role RPG, Mm -hmm. which kind of was a moment (laughs) because it's um, critical role has been such a great tool for bringing people into D&D, which is a game I love quite dearly. And so the fact that the idea that Critical Role might be launching its own comp- competing role-playing game was um, was conflicting because I, I do <laughs> I do like the show and would like to support it, but I like D and D and I like that it's bringing people in. And so when it was clarified that it was going to be a campaign setting, I was fantastically relieved. In addition to being excited uh, that I, that the books can be there and we get to learn more about the the world. I, I do wonder what they're going to be able to do with it, just because um, having listened to the show, I know that they, Matt Mercer uses a few gods from Pathfinder. Right. For those of you who don't know, that before the stream, it was this is actually a home game uh, Matt Mercer was running with the same friends um, using the Pathfinder rule system for a couple of years. And it was only after uh, one of the, the players, Ashley Johnson, I believe, talked to Felicia Day about the game and told her about it that Felicia suggested Mrs. Day, Mrs. Day uh, recommended bringing on to the Geek and Sundry show. Mm-hmm. So it's, so there's the yeah, other, they do use some gods and a couple terms from the Pathfinder rule set, like Saren Ray, the goddess of one of the, the characters, Pike. So it'd be interesting to see what they do with that and how they handle that particular intellectual property name. Saren Ray suddenly gets some (laughs) rebranding. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. That is certainly going to be uh, interesting to see how they sort of tackle, you know, uh, the fact that there is this other brand kind of mixed in there. You know, it's it's not just dealing with the D and D brand, which there's, you know, they have the the clear cut rules for how to do that. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, Allie, you are also uh, clearly a big critter as somebody who doesn't affect role-playing games i'm curious to hear is this the kind of thing that makes you even more want to get into it because it sounds like you already have a a pretty high interest level um like is this the kind of thing that might lead you to say you know what i'm gonna run a game i'm gonna i'm gonna gather my own group and i am gonna be the one to make it happen I vote yes. <laughs> I vote yes hard. I mean, I was already like super interested in. I don't know if I could if it. I don't remember when I heard about it, thinking that's the direction for me. Like, oh well, yeah. Now, now I want to do these, this, that, and the other thing. I think for me, I was just like, you know, it's clear that he's uh, that Matt Matt Mercer has, you know, put a lot of thought into all this backstory and like world building. And I, I'm a serious science fiction reader and I'm really picky when it comes to world building elements and feeling immersed in it and how seamless 
seems like he does it. I, I just want to know more about all these different worlds and the different areas. And for me, it was just, it would allow more details to kind of come out that maybe that haven't kind of organically shown up um, in the game itself. So I'm interested in it on kind of like, I guess a different, a weirder level. Like <laughs> I'm really bad when it comes to spoilers on stuff. Like when my husband was playing Bioshock, he was playing it and I was immediately reading like all the Wikipedia pages, like just trying to find out all that information because I was just so interested and excited. So just more of it in terms of a world building element. So I just really appreciate that creative process (laughs) yeah absolutely so you're saying you would read it almost like you would any other novel for entertainment yeah yeah. as if it was a you know kind of a real thing you know how you wikipedia hop with like different topics Mm -hmm. and kind of like that you know just it would expand the world for the current game as we're watching the players go through it we maybe know a little bit more about the world that's been set up that like i said hadn't organically kind of come out that kind of gets you rooted in and draws you in a little bit more i mean i'm so <laughs> I read setting guidebooks like that. I don't know. I, 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 don't know I love it. I, just, I love that kind of stuff. But I mean, again, I might be the scientist in me. I just like love knowing like more and more information. More data needed. Yeah, I just need to build a complete picture in my head. And so like, uh, yeah, I'm glad that he's able to potentially provide more information and that the book doesn't stop like mm-hmm. there, you know, with him. No, I think that's great. I think it's great that you're treating it like a wiki spiral, um, you know, so I, I definitely am down with that. And it's really interesting for me to think about somebody who maybe isn't as immersed in role-playing game mechanics as uh, as some of us are uh, to, to grab one of those books and read it for entertainment, especially because, in general, your campaign setting guides, they're not as heavy on the sort of mechanical rule stuff and have a lot more story to them, which is, I think, really great. Uh, and I think if you want to learn more about world building, you should check out Jester David's how-to guide uh, for fantasy world building uh, from our very own Dave Gibson here on the panel. Um, I'm blushing now. Yes, it is an excellent read. I, I have a copy, uh, so people should definitely check it out. We'll link it in the show notes. Carl, what is your level of uh, crititude, if you will? Um, so, I mean, like, I've watched them. Um, I'm, I'm like you, right? There's, you know, four-hour episodes, and there's, like, you know, over, I think, 55 episodes. And so, the you know, the hours add up. But I definitely, you know, pay attention and just, you know, try and catch the story. And it's – or just, like, watch them play because I think, you know, the more you dive in and watch other people play, you get your own kind of – okay, 63 episodes. Thanks, David. Uh, yeah, I think the, the cool part about it, though, is – that whole group like matt mercer and everybody that's made it so big it's almost like hey congrats um we're gonna put out a world book because so many people you know are excited and would want something like that i think that's almost like every dm and every you know rpg group of friends like their dream is basically like people want our world book people want to do you know fan art of our characters and our adventures because you know they're connected to that so i think like even if you're not a critter and you're just like into games and rpgs i think it's huge when somebody comes up and says like, Hey, we're going to, you know, publish our own setting book because there's a lot of work involved with that. And I feel like that means that, you know, you kind of hit a, like a milestone with it. I mean, I think it's just exciting to have another campaign book, kind of like um, what Ali said of being able to, to look at other ideas and to borrow, but also, you know, to have that option of diving in, I think is just, it's great. And the more, you know, books like that, that we have out there, I think the more, um, like we talked about with the the intro question, 
about, you know, what worlds do you want to see? You're going to pull more people in. You're going to get people talking or maybe somebody that, you know, isn't really interested in playing might, you know, follow a, a certain voice actor or see something and be intrigued. And then from there you can, instead of being like, here's, you know, some of these other established worlds, if you will, you say, well, here's, you know, this world that, you know, let's jump in this. And some people might feel more comfortable doing that. So I'm, I'm very excited for the book to come out and I look forward to, you know, hearing more news and even watching more of those 63 episodes and trying to, you know, catch up and know the story as well as, uh, as David does. <laughs> yeah, I think that's great. And I think you're absolutely right about inspiration and things like that. Does that mean that you think you'll be picking up a copy of this when it drops if it's, you know, well reviewed and that sort of thing? I definitely do. Um, simply because even like, I, I know I said art a lot, but even if there's not a lot of art, I feel like I would still pick it up just because Matt Mercer, as he DMs, he really draws you in and you feel like this world's developed. And like Ali was saying, again, like you just, it's almost like you just want to jump on the wiki and you want to dive into this and get like, you know, the whole history of the location or the NPC. And then it just that depth there when you're either watching the episodes or following along the story or even just making you think about the own, your own ideas that you've made. It just further develops everything. And I think that that's, I think that's great. And that excites me. And I buy a lot of uh, various books just based off art or, you know, history or any of that stuff just to get more ideas. Darcy, when I told you we were going to do this podcast, you were a little tentative because you said, you know, I, I like what I've seen, but I'm not a huge critter. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't watched a lot of Critical Role. So what does it mean to you that Green Ronin is going to partner with Critical Role and and put out a, a world book? So, so what this means for me uh, is twofold. I'll be quick about it, though. One is that I keep seeing the critter community bring in a bunch of new GMs and players and a bunch of women, like butt tons of women. There are so many women in the critter community. They're making art. They're becoming GMs. They're becoming players. It's so cool. And I'm like, yes, yes, all the women. Come, come be my friends. <laughs> please, please. I need girlfriends. Yeah, so that makes me really happy on that side. It's bringing new people into the community. Um, and they are engaging with the role-playing game community as much as they want. But, you know, they kind of have their own thing going. But, but it's bringing a lot of good storytelling in in many of its forms, right? And sort of engagement with creativity. But the other side that I've seen is Matt Mercer has a very specific GM style, right? And it's, you know, very narrative and kind of narrative sharing, too. You know, he, like, he lets players uh, sort of narrate some of their actions. And that's something that I picked up from some GMs who, you know, sort of taught me. I think having a GM with those kind of techniques being broadcast, I've talked to a bunch of people who have been running D&D since forever and, like, you know, it just hadn't come up to let players share the narrative in that way. And so it's really inspired them. And I think that's really good. Like, I, I love narrative sharing. It's fine if you don't do it. But I think having him be so vocal and be so accessible has, like, brought cool new things to the old school RPG community, too. And so I like I, that. That's what this means for me, too. It's kind of uniting the two communities a little better. Um, and the more of that I can get the better, in my opinion. So that's what that means to me. Yes, yeah, I've often said when a community is fragmented uh, and it's already as small as the role-playing game community is, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not football fans. We can't all root for different teams. We kind of have to be a united front and have one team, which is tabletop role-playing games, right? Yeah, I think anything that, that helps unite people is, is a great thing, and I think anything that brings more women into this hobby is an excellent thing, because it's nice when all people 
feel welcome to come do a thing and it helps that hobby grow, which is important for the life of the hobby. It's also a kind thing to do and a not even kind, it's a human thing to do to make <laughs> people feel welcome. Um, yeah. And it's it's something to be proud of and I you know, I think they showcase a lot of really great female players on Critical Role. Why do they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So which is which is excellent. Uh, Carl, you have a point? Yeah, I was just piggybacking off of what Darcy just said about Matt Mercer being very narrative and kind of including the players and all that. I think the other good point about Critical Role is that the tone of it, you feel like you're just sitting at the table with them. It's not meant to be a performance. It's just meant to be, hey, we're playing this game and this is how we play it. And, you know, you can sit and tune in with us and kind of feel like, you know, you're you're. I guess going along with them, it's almost like the like the Bob Ross of like D and D, right? Like he's just painting you know, along, yeah, right. <laughs> Watching it, you feel like you're participating. You think like, oh, hey, I could do that, or hey, like this isn't so tough or anything like that. <laughs> I can't wait to tweet the Bob Ross comparison. <laughs> I love it, <laughs> uh, Rohit. Uh, you've been uh, you've been waiting patiently over there. Uh, thank you for sitting out for a little bit, but uh, it is time definitely to hear what you have to say about the critical role book sir what are your thoughts and how big of a critter are you so critical role that's uh when i roll a 20 on <laughs> my actions right um yeah that's the critical role for me is uh it, it's i have not seen any of it i my first introduction to it was literally just seeing a whole slew of tweets one day after i'm guessing a show just released and seeing the critter tag everywhere on Twitter. I, I, I'm the kind of guy, I I try to pick up podcasts and video casts and whatnot, but it's just, sometimes I pick something up, sometimes I don't. But mm-hmm. I really appreciate what things like Critical Role do for the community. One of my big things is connecting people. It's something I've done in my personal life, and it's something I have the pleasure of doing on the RPG side of things. And Critical Role makes RPGs more accessible. I kind of see it in the same way The Stranger Things is doing right now. It's doing a fantastic job of taking role-playing games and bringing them to a community that would have never otherwise been exposed to them in a way that there's a professionalism to Critical Role that makes people who aren't interested in tabletop games willing to give it a try. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, someone who loves RPGs is going to jump all over that because it's just so well produced so I mean, my perspective is yeah that's fantastic and the fact that they've built a world um and they're building a book out of that it takes a lot of effort it takes a lot of time and I, I mean i try to world build when i run games and it's tough when you're doing it for a small group let alone if you're doing it for something that's going to be released as a product that's got to sell that's got to make money so i am really excited to see what they do Specifically because of, like you mentioned, multiple IPs coming together and, you know, how that's really going to balance out. David, you got a point? Right, uh, two really quick ones. Uh, first, if you were listening to this and are really curious about what Critical Wall is, but the idea of 63 um, episodes in- it terrifies you, there's really good jumping on point at episode 36. And round 51 is also probably a really good point. And if you're watching your computer, watch it like one and a half speed, much faster. Uh, second, Ooh, that's a good tip. Thank you. It's a one of the things that's gone understated is actually that Green Ronin is the, doing the book. We've been talking a lot about Critical Role and Matt Mercer, 
who is kind of an untested writer, as far as I know, as a voice actor. But Green Ronin is a really solid publisher. And I've read a bunch of their, um, I read their Dragon Age uh, book, their the campaign setting slash role-playing game book. And that was a really good, concise, detailed look at the, the that world, the world of uh, Thetis. So I, I'm actually almost as excited that Green Ronin, who is a company that hasn't done a lot of campaign settings, but the ones I have seen have been really good that they're going to do something really good with this. And so this can be really good art, poss- I know, maybe tapping into some of the, the critter artists and giving them a little bit of spotlight. And so I'm excited for, for that reason. Yeah, I, I could not agree more about Green Ronin. Um, they're an excellent company. They do really excellent work. They're often uh, concerned about the way that they, I, I wouldn't even say concerned, thoughtful kind of about the way they, they represent diversity uh, more and more lately, which is really great. But man, are they good designers and they put out some great stuff. So out of the abyss, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, obviously their their 5e adventure, Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide was some stuff that they've put out for, for 5e. And we're going to see more. The Book of the Righteous, right, just got funded on Kickstarter. And they have all their own great lines, too. So, you know, it could also be a gateway for people if the... Critical Role book brings them in. Maybe they'll end up playing Mutants and Masterminds or Fantasy Age or something like that. So there's a ton, a ton there to to check out. We are going to be following this story closely uh, as it unpacks. Maybe we'll even get uh, superstar James Hake to come on the show and talk to us about it. Uh, we definitely want to know what people out there think. So please hit us up at facebook.com slash the Tome Show or over in the show notes for this episode at the tomeshow.com does anybody else have anything they want to say before we move on to the next thing yeah i i mean i think i want to point out that geek and sundry is obviously a huge name in the tabletop world right now they put out articles videos things left and right but the fact that a company as respected as green ronin is putting out a product also kind of gives me hope for other shows and mechanisms that are building their own worlds. God's Fall is another great show. Just the idea that there are people that have this great content and that professional companies are equally putting out that great content in a way that we can all get exposure to. Uh, it's kind of a hopeful point of where tabletop RPGs are going. Sure. Um, can I piggyback off that? I just feel like it represents a bit of a change in how RPGs are doing things, right? With the tools that exist, like the DMs Guild and, uh, you know, Cypher System has a creator thing. So, you know, it's like companies putting a little bit of power and IP into fans' hands to sort of, you know, make their own stuff and sell their own PDFs. So there's a bit of a focus on, like, not just the big titans making things anymore, like sort of validating all the cool homebrew stuff that exists so I think I think it's a bigger change that we're seeing that I really really like. Yeah, absolutely. And Kickstarter, you know, has also let people do that. You mentioned God's Fall, and Aram, the guy who does that podcast, just funded his own campaign book um, through Kickstarter. Nice. Uh, yeah. So I, I agree. The DMs Guild and Kickstarter and a lot of third party publishers are definitely going to make things possible. Uh, I would love to see if anybody knows Griffin McElroy. I would love to see an Adventure Zone. Uh, Setting, which I has its oh. own problems because it's sort of wrapped up in the Forgotten Realms. But uh, man, would I love to see some of the weird comedic stuff that that comes out of that podcast. So we definitely want to know. Uh, uh, please, please tell us if you're out there, and also tell us what fantasy worlds you would like to see. I'd love to see fans start answering the get to know you question, guys. That would be really fun. That'd be awesome. Yeah, it was a good question. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
Thanks, thanks. Yeah, I've been saving that one for a very special panel. So, um, and, uh, and because David Gibson was here and is finally letting me call him David, as I have <laughs> wanted to do for years. Why don't we move on to our second topic, a beloved fantasy world, the world of J.R.R. Tolkien's Middle-Earth, is, uh, as we know, getting a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition setting. Uh, It's going to be coming from Cubicle 7, uh, who already makes a Middle-Earth role-playing game. Um, So the the book called Adventures in Middle-Earth gave EN World some sneak peeks at the table of contents. So it definitely looks interesting. There's a lot of uh, of of cool stuff in there a lot of uh mods of things you know you're seeing uh looks like they're they're trying to be as true to the world of middle earth as possible instead of seeing like a warlock and you know a sorcerer and all these high magic classes we've got things like the wanderer and the treasure hunter and the slayer as full classes so uh you know it's it's going to be really really interesting to see how this all shapes up uh, the real question uh is seeing this table of contents and knowing about the announcement are are you excited for Middle Earth in Dungeons and Dragons? And why don't we start with Darcy Ross? What do you think? Uh, so I, I think it's a good idea. I read setting books and things like that and core rule books for bedtime stories. So any new book, especially in an IP that I already like, um, is going to be fun for me. In D&D games that I've played, they tend to produce an experience that's a little more like Guardians of the Galaxy than Middle Earth. Um, you know, it's, it's usually a band of people that these people would not really be together, um, but we have antics together and it's a good time. I feel like uh, there are other games that I've seen that tr- that have mechanics that support what, a fe- what Fellowship of the Rings feels like better. Like uh, Fellowship is a recent RPG that I think is just came out this year. I kickstarted it. Um, and it, it plays with those, the tropes of like high epic fantasy, epic party level stories. So like Avatar The Last Airbender and like, Fellowship of the Ring, um, and I think that has mechanics that kind of support that kind of story happening a little better, um, but it doesn't mean you can't do it in D&D, and I think what's great is people already know D&D, so now we can play Middle-Earth in D&D, and so I'm, I'm totally on board. Um, I think there's room for all, all forms, so I, I'm excited to see it, but I, I don't know that it would necessarily, I think there are other games doing it in different ways that are also good. Sure, sure. And I think, you know, we've, we've covered this a couple times on the podcast. I think a lot of people have had that opinion. And a lot of people have even said that Cubicle 7's own system that they created for Middle Earth is actually, they think, probably a better system than Dungeons & Dragons for this campaign setting. But it might explode. It might be the kind of thing that, uh, you know, because people who don't maybe have the time to learn a new system, uh, this will this will give them a chance to do that. Although I will say there are lots of really easy systems to learn out there that uh, that take less time than reading a new campaign setting to learn. Um, so, uh, so definitely check those out, people, uh, and, and listen to Darcy, for she is wise uh let's go now ally um so ally i i know that uh that this is probably not as interesting a question for you so i'm going to change it up a little bit okay change it up are you as excited about the idea of a middle earth campaign as you are about a critical role campaign and i know nothing about whether or not you are a fan of the lord of the rings and the hobbit and all those books and movies and stuff uh or not so um you said you're very picky about your world building i am yeah so so hit me with it what do you think and remember there are no wrong answers i'm a big fan i mean actually i know this might be more controversial than others i as a kid distinctly remember i would i read 
Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit uh, during a time when, or even a little bit beforehand, when um, uh, Harry Potter was kind of becoming like a big thing. And I, I rejected Harry <laughs> Potter wholeheartedly for, for Tolkien and reading the Cimmerillion and everything. And that made that maybe dating myself that's like kind of old <laughs> um but you know like it's not nearly as at the forefront for me i mean you know i i'm watching critical role like every week and stuff so it's kind of it's always constantly with me and obviously like the hobbit and uh, lord of the rings is something that is with me but in a different way so i i'm on board with it as a as a potential avenue for other people that may maybe that's how they they really love that world in the same way that say like I'm it's at the forefront of my mind for critical role, you know, and, and allowing them kind of a skeleton of ways to make that world come to life for them. I'm on board for that for everybody that wants to do it. <laughs> how seriously, how is it that you are friends with Darcy and you love all this stuff and you have not yet played a role playing game? I'm very confused. <laughs> Cause she lives in Miami. I know. And oh, also, I just discovered how big of a nerd you I are over the last few days. <laughs> you, your nerddom runs deep. It does. It's you amazing. You can't really tell, I guess, visually. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. Not, I don't <laughs> wear it on my sleeve. But, yeah, I mean, I only know Darcy because, I mean, through scientific connections. And yeah. we just happened to be at this workshop together. And we're, like, half roommates. I don't know yeah. what the situation <laughs> is here in the bathroom. But, yeah, she, like, mentioned something about, oh, hey, I'm going to be on this podcast, like, I know you kind of like critical role from the last time you went to a conference because um, I was plugging it and um, and she's like, do you have any like you know places for me to like catch up on? And I was like, okay, so you need to go to this Tumblr, yeah, and like you need to go to critical. It was stats. impressive. So anyway, and then she, was, I think that gave her the tip of the iceberg, kind of like, yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> like hint just how just how big I was into it. So awesome. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't I personally, I don't know how I've gone this far without doing it either. And I'm so desperately like interested in it. It's just it's kind of painful that I don't really have as much of a community, it seems around me in order to do that. So maybe I'm hoping soon um, after I finish, maybe hopefully sooner than that, finish my PhD, and then I can get some nerdy. Yeah, or whatever. Yes. So I can play with me. <laughs> well, listen, you're getting your PhD. You're very science-y. Uh, you can learn Roll20 very quickly, I assume. Oh, um, yeah. Get on there. It's free. There's a free Cypher system starter uh, campaign that you can play. So definitely check it out uh, and, and play some games with your friends. It'll be a good time. Rohit, why don't we turn to you? Uh, I think you have a response. And then I also want to hear what you think about the table of contents and your level of excitement kind of for a Lord of the Rings Middle-Earth campaign setting in Dungeons & Dragons. Well, it kind of goes hand in hand because you brought up the Cubicle 7, the One Ring game. And I had the opportunity to play that at a Catacon last year. And I found that to encapsulate how I felt about reading a Lord of the Rings book in a game. And awesome. I kind of have that same thought as Darcy in that I'm not sure whether D&D &D is a system that will really play to uh, Lord of the Rings unless the GM really stays on top of the thing. Because I feel D&D &D is very action-y and power-y. And yeah, you can have a toned-back setting and whatnot, but it's kind of designed to be a lot more of a fantasy heroes saving the world kind of thing in my opinion so i'm i'm mixed on whether the book is going to uh whether it's going to actually work in D D. that aside having looked at the table of contents 
I am super excited for whatever background they are ready to provide. It looks like they have a bunch of stuff on the various races, on how stuff works between people. And I actually see elements that match towards the One Ring game. So it's possible they took a lot from that, learned from it, and tried to apply it to D&D. And if that's the case, hey, great, because stuff like the Fellowship phase in the One Ring was a big part of how it worked out. And I see that's also in this one. So I have some trepidations, but mostly because of the system. The setting, on the other hand, the first DVD I think I ever bought was the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So give me all the Lord of the Rings, please. <laughs> wow, I am. Uh, I feel like a very old man after that comment. Uh... <laughs> no, 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 believe me, it, it's just the first one I bought. Let's be very clear on the way to phrase that. <laughs> Uh, yes, I can remember the first VHS that I bought. Uh, oh, yeah. So uh, we might have been using a beta player back then, actually. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I, I am both excited about this and also not sure D&D is the right system. Uh, so I'm glad to hear that that is, uh, that is sort of a, a general consensus. Uh, how about you, Carl? Uh, what are your thoughts? D&D and Middle-Earth. So the first thing I think about D&D that makes this whole thing in my mind like extremely positive is that you're taking a bunch of players that are already familiar with the D&D setting and you're basically just saying, hey guys, like you guys already know the rules, you're familiar with you know how things work uh, with this game, so now here's everything you need to just incorporate it into Middle Earth. And I think that's a very strong a plus for it because you're not saying... Here's a new game that, you know, you need to learn or anything like that. You can just kind of jump in. Um, the other thing that I really liked about the table of contents was that I felt I felt like it hit a bunch of major themes that consistently resonate within Tolkien's work. Um, one of them was about, you know, the shadow and corruption and like the temptation that these characters always face, whether it be, you know, Thorin and greed or Denethor and madness or just, you know, like uh, it said, I think one of them said, like, cursed lands and locations. And so it doesn't matter, you know, if your AC is super high, you could still be making, you know, madness saving throws or the environment could conspire against you. I think that's a great feeling with everything. Um, I also really liked all the, the classes, the alternate classes that they were listing out, because um, one of the things that I like to see was that they, they really didn't make a big deal about magic because your average character in middle earth really doesn't use magic i mean when gandalf makes light on his staff and they go through moria it becomes you know this this big kind of momentous moment for everybody like oh, okay phew we have you know actual real light and everything like that so it's kind of nice that they recognize that and instead of trying to say here's how you play a wizard in middle earth they've just kind of pushed that aside and say you know these are the more important things to focus on so, I mean, I'd definitely be interested in uh, picking it up, taking a look at it. And like I said, you know, you pull various inspiration from it or it makes me dust off some of my old. I had uh, my first RPG that I ever played was Decipher's uh, Lord of the Rings RPG. And that would use like a coda. They called it the coda system. And it was about, you know, rolling two six sided dice for everything. And um, but that's kind of how I jumped into, you know, the hobby and playing with some of the kids on my street. So. In order to get the, the D&D rules and then jumping into that, 
would kind of be like, you know, a little trip down memory lane and, you know, seeing what I like and taking experiences from there. I, uh, I like that when I read this, um, because I think there was a lot of criticism when it first came out, um, you know, like, is D&D the right setting? I don't know. I'm not sure. This felt a little like Cubicle 7 saying, all right, challenge accepted. And here's <laughs> the way we're going to change the rules to make this work better. And here's the way we're going to hack 5th edition to, to do all this kind of stuff. So I am really excited to see it. And I do think the table of contents made me feel the same way you did. Like, oh, well, I, I mean, they seem to know what they're doing. So let's see how this goes. Uh, finally, Dave Gibson, D&D, Middle Earth. What do you think? I don't know if this is much uh, different or incompatible as other people have said in this podcast. Because the 5th the edition rule set is fairly broad and is just kind of the, the action resolution you can bring to it. But I love that they're, they are really hacking it. As, as I think Carl said, I, I'm actually looking forward to all the, the new additions this game is bringing. Because even if I don't plan on buying this book and playing in Middle-earth, I can take it and implement bits of it for my own campaign. It's, it's a great, be great resource for if you really wanted a low magic world with D&D without having to do it all yourself or just outright ban classes and not add anything. You can just go add the leader and the scholar as an options. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to, as, as you mentioned, the uh, the shadows, the corruption, and the adding the, maybe adding the, the fellowship phase or uh, the, the various virtues. I have no idea what the virtues are, but it could be interesting. So we need to add these little elements into the game. And I was also looking at it, and I really liked things like the, the dwarf-forged weapons stood out to me in the table of contents and the, the equipment chapter. I want to know what dwarf-forged weapons do. That sounds neat. And I love that the backgrounds are fairly generic. They're not uh, so specific to the setting that you cannot even remotely use them. There's, it's a doomed to die or driven from home or so, so very generic. <laughs> And, and as a final point, it, it, there is the companion book. There is the actual the One Wing uh, RPG itself. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do something more literary token that's a little less combat-focused and really kind of narrative and story-focused, you have that. Whereas if you want something a little bit more action hero a little bit more Peter Jackson, you have the 5th edition version. <laughs> and you can go save the world and punch a dragon in the face that's right that's, yeah yeah if you want to play uh the hobbit movies right you've got you've got exactly and uh uh and if you want to play a little more tolkieny uh, you've got another way um and you know one of the things that you reminded me of is that these books are great even if you're not going to play in these campaign settings as a way to uh cherry pick stuff right like maybe you're gonna pull the madness rules from one and maybe you'll pull a magic item from matt mercer's campaign setting and then you'll build your own thing right um you, you'll build a crazy mishmash of of stuff and i feel like that's what most people end up doing and it's also how you end up with some crazy broken stuff but for the most part it's it's really really fun and it's what role-playing games are all about right is being able to tell your own story by stealing from other people and combining it with stuff that you've made up entirely out of your head. So I am excited to see these books. I am excited to see what people do with them. I think that that is probably going to do it for the roundtable this week. Uh, where can people find you on the internet, David Gibson? I do a blog and webcomic over at 5 Minute Workday, uh, 5MWD.com. I also do some stuff on the Dungeon Masters Guild, 
where you can go and check out Matt Mercer's content and get a preview of what his writing chops are like. Because I, because of the rules of the DMs Guild, they cannot take the Gunslinger and throw them into the his uh, Tadori world book anymore. So that's where you can find the, the Percy class. Yes, yeah. So people, please uh, check out Dave Gibson. He is an amazing writer, a hilarious cartoonist, and uh, an all-around great Canadian. Uh, <laughs> Carl, where can people find you? Um, I'm largely on Twitter at Artificer, like the uh, the class, and then Alf A L F. So slightly different, uh, one word. And then um, pretty soon, I'm hoping to be on DMs Guild too. I've been working on a, a little delve for a while, and I just got to finish a couple things, play test it, and I'm hoping to get it out by you know hopefully mid September at the latest. I know I keep pushing it off, but that's that's my goal. So keep an eye out for that. That's right. Great work takes time and takes play testing. So I will be excited <laughs> to see that. Please uh, send me a link and uh, maybe we'll talk about it on the show. That would be pretty cool. And Darcy Ross, where can people find you? I'm findable on Twitter and G+. Um, it's at Darcy L. Ross, D-A-R-C-Y-L-R-O-S-S. I'm also writing for the Gnomes Do, and I also just launched my very first podcast. It's called Cypher Speak. Um, it's currently, it's on the network of Misdirected Mark, and it's still going undergoing iTunes approval, but hopefully that will be cleared up shortly. So you should still be able to get it through the Misdirected Mark website. So nice. check it out. That's awesome. That's awesome. Misdirected Mark puts out amazing podcasts, so everybody should check Boy, do them they. out. Yeah, yeah. And Gnome Stew is, uh, is an excellent, excellent place to be writing, so uh, I'm excited for you on all fronts there, Darcy, uh, and I can't wait to check out all the stuff that you're going to put out. So thank you, and thank you for coming on the roundtable today for your first time. Hope to have you back. My pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Another person we hope to have back, of course, is Rohit. Rohit, where can people find you? So I am overly addicted to Twitter uh, at GamersPlane, and you can also find me at GamersPlane.com, the site I might be running or something. <laughs> I My brain kind of froze in the middle of that sentence. I'm like, what do I do for GamersPlane? Oh, right. Uh, Everything. Everything. That's right. <laughs> right. And that's that's plane like airplane or plane of T-L-A-N-E. Yes. It's because it's where you want to go. It is the gamer's plane, uh, P-L-A-N-E. Gotcha. Yeah, and it is. It is where you want to go, or it is where you live. Hopefully, it is where <laughs> our friend Allie will end up at some point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Allie, uh, where can people find you? I don't know why they'd want to look me up, but <laughs> I only just started Twitter, so right now I'm just, I've only tweeted about this bioinformatics workshop <laughs> so far <laughs> but if on the off chance you want to follow my antics um it's graham uh, alley one so g-r-a-h-a-m a-l-l-i-e and then the number one but if you were to google my name and type in biology you could find my research website so if you're curious about what kind of mysterious biology research that i do i'm getting my phd in you can find it there <laughs> it's pretty great <laughs> Anyway, that's it. Awesome, nice. awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the roundtable. I do hope we will see you all back here sometime soon. Uh, Allie, when you do finally get that first game up and running, uh, we'd love to talk to you about how it went. Um, so I think that would be super, super fun. Uh, in the meantime, thank you all for joining me on the roundtable today. Thank you for having us, any award-winning James Intercasso. Oh. Heck yeah. <laughs> And before we go, it's time for our DMs Guild pick of the episode. This week's pick is A Dozen Maps by B. Simon Smith. 
It is a pay-what-you-want product that gives you a dozen maps for use with a lot of different virtual tables, or you can use them for your home games. It is awesome. Gridded and ungridded versions are available. There's a direct link to a dozen maps by B. Simon Smith over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. I'd like to thank my guests, Darcy, Allie, Rohit, David, and Carl. All right, everybody, you can find me on Twitter at James and Tricasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the 5th edition D&D world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games over there. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the Roundtable.